the 1950s, America and Korea were at war. The space race took off with the launch of Sputnik. The Cold War was heating up, and comic books came under fire. With the threat of nuclear attack came the concern of radiation and its effect on life. Fears of a communist invasion, technological advances, and creatures from beyond our moon spread across the country. But worry not, my friends, for you are safe in the spoiler room with the crew. So grab your favorite drink and pull up a chair as they discuss monster films from this decade in... It came from the 50s. Yes, folks, It Came from the 50s is back once again. Our special uh, series of episodes we're doing where we're covering monster films from the 50s. And man, do we have a classic for you tonight from 1954. And we're talking about them. No, not us. We're talking about them. And to discuss this very interesting, larger-than-life ant film, we have a great crew assembled with us tonight. First off, he's in the room once again. It's the BFD, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. How are you? Hey, Mark. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Uh, glad to have you here and hope you don't have too many ants in your pants for this episode. So uh, I, I had to work one ant pun in there. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> we also have in the room tonight, he is in the, his house. It is Scotty D is back with us. Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Oh, glad to hear it. We're hanging in there. Uh, the knee's getting a little better, so that's always uh, good. Uh, I can actually bend it now, which is fun. Uh, so, <laughs> and yes, returning after his long hiatus to parts unknown, he is back with us, Jason Zoliger. Hello, Jason. How are you? I am excellent and uh, glad to be here. Glad to be back. Glad to have you back in the spoiler room tonight, especially for this film uh, called Them. Now, Jason, since you're here, would you like to give the uh, synopsis of the movie Them? Uh, sure. It's a, uh, well, it starts with uh, New Mexico Police Department getting reports of strange attacks, and uh, they investigate or try to figure out what's going on. And there's that whole first section of the movie where they're trying to figure out what's going on and everybody knows because the big ants are on the poster so it's like not really a mystery but they play that angle up for a little while then the uh ants attack and the uh fbi and the police attack back and destroy the ants but they find out that there's uh, uh two queens that are alive and escaped and uh the rest of the movie is basically tracking them down and uh, making sure they're destroyed. And they're, uh, the, they were created, the giant ants were created by leftover radiation from the uh, uh, atomic bomb tests in New Mexico. So, wait, wait, we have a 50s giant monster film and radiation's involved? Rad yes. No way. <laughs> That's so unusual. <laughs> It's yeah. like it, it, it's 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 like it's like they it's like they say about booze. It's the uh, cause of and solution to all of our problems. That was radiation in the fifties. Radiation, <laughs> yes. If it wasn't from our own produced radiation, it was from space. Something in space did not like us. Came down and decided to be mean to us. Uh, <laughs> either way, the fifties didn't like radiation or those folks from outer space. Space was scary and radiation bad which you know at least they got it half right <laughs> though i guess space can be scary uh 
Ah, uh, them. Uh, Glenn, do you remember when you first watched the Giant Ant film? Hmm. I remember when I first saw the whole movie. That was last week. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> really? I No, okay, I should say. I'm saying the first time I saw the, the whole movie in a single sitting. Ah, okay. So I have always caught this one. Like on TBS or some other, you know, station. When I was a kid, I'd catch it like twenty or thirty minutes in, or I'd catch the beginning of it, and then we'd have to go to church, or I'd, you know, get the middle of it, and then I'd go out, you know, and play whatever with with my friends. So I had seen the whole movie many times, but I had never just sat down and popped in, you know, them and said, "I'm going to watch them," until last <laughs> week. Um, but I, I mean, it's it's it played enough times in my head, and just me seeing bits of it that I mean, I I reenacted stuff from this movie with my GI Joe figures, and with my Star Wars guys, and with my Army men, and every other thing that I could possibly have go to war against giant bugs. So, <laughs> well, this, this is considered the first giant bug film, I do believe that that we ever got the like major bug film would you say uh scotty d or am i wrong on it i wouldn't really know for sure i don't want to check the dates but i do know that uh this one uh was coming out was probably one of the first if not the first it was one of probably one of the first to come out and we got to remember that all of these pretty much came out within five years of each other you know earth versus the spider tarantula stuff like that um, all probably came in a very, very close time, you know, uh, with doing the giant insects or animals or whatever thing. A, a bird eye Gordon made an entire career just doing nothing but that. So, <laughs> and this is brought to us by the director Gordon Douglas, who gave us uh, what in like Flint. Uh, mm -hmm. He directed as well, so you know he he can handle comedy. But this is a pretty serious film. Uh, it's a very serious. Uh, the thing about Gordon Douglas is, I think that. I always I was looking at his credits and I'm like, okay, this is kind of odd. He's got a lot of really good like detective movies and and kind of cool hip movies. And then like right at the be beginning or somewhere, well, not at the beginning, I guess, but right in the mid in the middle, it's them. I mean, which is really <laughs> it's a really like black and white serious movie despite the subject matter this is one serious flick it is it, it definitely serious uh jason how about you with them you remember when you first saw this film uh, i would say my experience is very similar to to glenn's where you know i'd seen the movie enough in pieces as a kid to kind of know what it was about and have a general idea but yeah i'm i'm not certain um memory does not work that well but uh if i ever did see the thing from beginning to end as as a kid um but so yeah i watched it for the first <laughs> time all the way through a couple days ago and um you know remembered parts of it and and not other parts of it but uh, uh so yeah it was actually a it was fun to to revisit it mm -hmm. Yeah, and would you agree that this is, I mean, for, because we've had monster, you could tell the monster films that are kind of campy in this, but this one is fairly serious. 
Yeah, it's it's. I I do think though that it strikes a nice balance between being very grim and serious in certain places, but also having a few lighter moments and goofy things. You know, not to the detriment of the overall tone, but uh, there's definitely some some funny spots. Uh, particularly, I like the uh, when uh, the doctor the uh, Dr. Harold Medford is in the helicopter and they want him to use the headset and uh, they're telling him to say, to, you know, say over. And as I already said over and, you know, he's get this whole kind of little bit with the headset I thought was pretty funny. And there's a few other, you know, small bits that are, that are funny, but it's, you know, I, I think uh, Scott mentioned that the director did mysteries. Well, there's actually, you know, kind of two, bits in this where it 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 plays it is a mystery the first is hey what are these things that are doing these attacks and then the second is okay where did these queens go and we got to track them down and there's a lot of mystery elements uh in the uh movie and then of course the action the monster action so i just i think it's a real nice balance between you know those Mm -hmm. things that i just mentioned well, I think it surprises some people a film like this because you go into it, you're thinking, you know, giant tarantula and that, but you look at this going, well, you know what? This is this was a fairly big film back in the day for the people they had because the person you mentioned, Doctor Harold Medford, that's Santa. Yeah, that's Santa from Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. <laughs> you know, and they got Matt Dillon, and they got Matt Dillon in here. <laughs> James Whitner uh, J, uh, James and, and the, the Miracle Grow guy. Yeah, the Miracle Grow guy. <laughs> That's the big name one. That's the one everybody recognizes. Uh, <laughs> Scotty D, do you remember when you first uh, caught this film fully? Yeah. Um, and I think this is kind of a similar story to some of the other movies that we covered here. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on uh, Channel 29 in Philadelphia, Theater Bazaar matinee during the week and then when they would always show the uh, matinee scary movies on Saturdays and Sundays and one of them was them and I thought okay I can watch this it's just gonna be like a regular thing and it's like this starts out it's really creepy it's really ominous and it has the, and then finally that little girl just yells out them them and I'm like, dude, this is a really tight movie. <laughs> it was that that movie. It had me hooked right right from when I was a kid. I said, this is not this. You know, it. I thought giant ants. This thing's gonna be hilarious. This thing isn't playing around. This is a really intense movie. I like. So I've actually enjoyed this one ever since I was a kid. Yeah, because you you get the little girl wandering the desert, and they. Pick him, you know, pick her up, and she doesn't talk at first. And you got a trailer ripped open, and they got that ant noise, mm-hmm. but you never actually see the ants, even though, you, like Jason said, it's on the poster. You, you know they're coming, right? Uh, <laughs> but you know, I'll tell you something. That early scene, also, and I've thought this the last few, the last, uh, well, I've thought this kind of ever since the other movie came out, uh, which we also did a, you also did a uh, episode of Spoiler Room about. Uh, in the movie Tremors, mm-hmm. when they first uncover the uh, place that's been wrecked, and there's parts that have been buried, and the car was buried, and everything like that, which is like mm-hmm. the best eerie scene in that movie, and that whole setup, and then they townspeople get together, and there's all that. I I always looked at that. I said, 
these people have seen them <laughs> yep. because I mean, I obviously that obviously Tremors is paying homage to a lot of these old movies, but just in the structure of the film, it's got a lot. It, it really owes a lot to them. And so these early scenes where <coughs> they're coming across the wreckage here and trying to figure out what's going on, it's really eerie and creepy. And it, it really strikes that chord. And that uh, I think has been, uh, would inspire uh, those future filmmakers there. Yeah, you, you could see influence. Uh, and it's another sci-fi film that you can see influence later on in other films, especially uh, uh, other monster films. They built a lot from this because you do have a lot of anticipation. Uh, we don't see the ants, I think, for the first half hour. So it, it is this kind of bizarre mystery. But we've got some brutal deaths in here. Uh, I like the one line that the one guy says is like, everything here points to a homicidal maniac. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you think of that, Glenn, the, the mystery part in the beginning? You think, even though they know the answer on the poster, you think they still played off pretty good, building up that anticipation? Uh, no pun intended. I, I don't know where he gets uh, a uh, Sorry, I had love that. <laughs> that was a good pun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the whole notion of the, the homicidal maniac who can rip open the sides of trailers and buildings. I mean, what, what homicide? This is, I mean, yeah, maybe a homicidal maniac, you know, elephant. <laughs> well, they do drop the line, though. It is near it in a state asylum. And I'm just like, wow, you guys are really drawn. So I'm like, what kind of crazy person's knocking holes through buildings? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, I do like the cop. Uh, what do you think of James Whitmore's character in this, though, uh, Glenn? Uh, his, his Sergeant Ben Peterson. He's fine. <laughs> I mean, he's. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's a he's a very typical, you know, nineteen mm fifties -hmm. guy. <laughs> he, the the veteran cop, because you get him and the young cop, and then he has guilt because. The young cop gets uh, becomes ant food, basically. Yeah, but yeah, I, I like his character. You, you're right; he is kind of written basic '50s cop guy. But uh, James Whitmore, I think, plays him fairly well. Jason, what do you think of uh, James Whitmore's Ben Peterson? Uh, yeah, I would say he was all right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. Uh, there were times where I, I'm watching him on screen, and I'm like. Dude, show some emotion or do something. I, it just seemed kind of, uh, but but all in all, I mean, it was it was all right. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, he maybe he was concerned about his height with next to James Arness. They, uh, yeah, little little trivia that on IMDb or wherever it was that yeah, he wore lifts in his shoes because because <laughs> of the height difference. So. <laughs> Scotty, do what you what you think of our Ben Peterson? Did he need to show some more emotion? Uh, you, you know, he wasn't bad, but I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I, he didn't exactly shiver me timbers either. You know, um, just like the rest of our crew, there was kind of an arc already. There was building an archetype of the type of hero you could expect in a movie like this, and you would either get um, someone who was a by-the-book, uh, very stern and stoic scientist, or you would get somebody who is kind of a 
chiseled jaw, small town crime fighter who is also very stoic and everything. Basically, just like all these really serious white guys um, running around these movies. And that's kind of what you got. That's why I think it was such a relief to have uh, the doctor uh, who... uh, had it had the issue with uh, with the uh, CV radio, and I was like, "Dude, I, I'm totally on this guy's side with the CV radio. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is ridiculous." Um, and uh, I, I liked. I mean, even though she did kind of become the, you know, standard woman in a thing, I liked that the uh, I liked that the woman was a doctor, not a nurse, a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But y- you got the standard. But yeah, the, the our main. I'm sorry, I'm getting uh, beside the point. Our main guy. Yeah, he was ser- he he was serious, stoic, chiseled, and white. So that's he fit the mold of this movie. So. <laughs> In contrast, you had James Arness, who at least showed a little emotion, but he was almost Mister Too Suave. It's like you had yeah. you had Mister Stiff Pants, and then you had Mister James Arness playing the FBI agent. Um, which it's actually, I think, because of this film that he ended up being. Uh, in you know becoming famous in his favorite uh, TV show because I think uh, John Wayne saw him in this movie and wanted him in uh, Gunsmoke. Yeah, great show. Yeah, a lot of pe- a lot of people love that show. But I'm glad you brought up the Doctor, uh, played by Joan Weldon, because for most of this film, she's written as this kind of no nonsense. She understands she's in a man's world, but takes no crap type of character, which I really liked. Uh, I mean, uh, Scott, did you like her character for the most part, the way she was written? I mean, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get some it's it's like, you know, not to repeat myself too much, but it's no. uh, you're not going to get the No, 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 no. I'm just saying like the, the, it with how I was like kind of harping on what you got in the 50s. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that, you know, you're not going to get uh, the, you know woman of the world uh that's you know that you that the well-rounded character that well let's face it we're just now starting to get movies that kind of have that part in it right probably to the point of where we think we're getting it because we haven't had anything like that before and we're going to look at the parts that women have today 20 years from now and say yikes (laughs) <laughs> that was not that was not as progressive as we thought, <laughs> you know, because we still we're my point being, we still got a long way to go and you're still going to have things. But just to have the woman that had a brain. Yes, <laughs> that I mean, yes, she fell into some of the stereotypes, but she they made it a very big point that it wasn't all nepotism. It wasn't a thing. No, she was a doctor as well. She had a brain. She had a good head on her shoulders. And um, she was going to be helping these people, even though they kept saying, no, no, you stay behind. She was going to be front and center fighting the giant ants. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she was. I mean, because she was actually a a interesting. She was the more serious uh, doctor, whereas her father was more of kind of the bubbling professor. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, she had the... um, both were intelligent, but uh, she ha- she had the intelligence as well as uh, but the fa- but the husband rather yeah, fa- father. Blah, what kind of movie is this? The father was uh, the father. The father was also kind of uh, 
uh, well, to you know, borrow a line from a late from a another movie of the fifties, was sort of an absent-minded professor. Yes, and uh, she actually no had had the brains about the subject and some street smarts as well. So it was a, uh, it was a kind of a nice switch to see that she was the one that had kind of most of the gifts there. Yeah, she just she took no she was a bit no nonsense even dealing with characters around her who would say things like oh she's a doctor i think i'll get a fever real quick i'm like oh my god dude (laughs) you probably had to hear that all the time (laughs) (laughs) jason how about you with uh, the uh, patricia medford character did you like uh kind of how she was written i mean for a 50s movie was it kind of surprising right i think i think that caveat needs to go on it right for a 50s movie um yeah it was i thought it was a fairly well-written character that you know was wasn't one-dimensional wasn't uh wasn't the damsel in distress always you know she was actually um you know giving orders when they were down when they put the gas in the first anthill or whatever Mm -hmm. and they're going down there and and uh you know she's checking things out and she sees the the that <coughs> queen's eggs hatched or whatever and then and uh she's like okay we got what we need here you know i think she you know she, then she's given orders you know burn everything or do everything and 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 takes off you know she's she's actually giving orders yeah as as opposed to you know well i'm going to tag along while you you know men you know do your thing down here now yeah it wasn't wasn't uh um maybe feminist to today's standards or or what we would hope but uh but uh, yeah i thought it was uh it was a good character yeah and she doesn't ex- she she doesn't become the the cliche love interest either does she glenn our, our patricia bedford they, they pretty keep her straight for most of the film at least um not the standard love interest how'd you feel about patricia I liked her. I, I did. Uh, as some people have already mentioned, I like the fact that she's just like, hey, I'm the scientist here. You have any idea what you're looking for? Well, there is men. We can protect you. Shut up and I'm going in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's. It was it was I, I liked her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did, too. And it, it was kind of a surprise, especially. You know, uh, here we have again, we have actually a uh, monster genre film that is writing characters that are a little bit different than what you'd seen in other films during that time period. (laughs) You know, (laughs) go genre films, uh, trying to at least break the mold a little bit. But uh, we did allude to it that there are actually kind of two stories here within this film. And they actually take a rather intelligent approach the first time, don't they, Jason, with these ants? I mean, it, it, uh, compared to what you've seen in other monster or horror films, especially for the time, they actually kind of take a logical approach, and what they come up with almost works, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's very it, – and the whole film is with the mystery you know, parts of it and, and how they deal with – with the the threat is all very logical and makes sense and they're not doing stupid things and they're not you know going off half cocked all the time and you know they're they're pretty much doing what makes sense and they're which is why kind of in the end um at the last the the final battle when they find the final one you know that that could have been um pretty cut and dried but then you get the kids that cause that additional 
wrinkle, you know, that yeah. compli complicate things and heighten the tension. And but but then again, they handle that fairly, you know, logically. And and uh, yeah, so it was. Yeah, I, I actually kind of like the um, the plot and the way everything played out. Yeah, they they don't take your normal kind of tropish. You know, you don't have the one person going, ha you know, I'm the hero and everyone else just falls in line. They, they all kind of work together in this. And, and it was kind of refreshing to watch. Uh, Glenn, would you agree that uh, they actually do make, for the most part, intelligent decisions in this versus uh, many other horror films? Yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, they don't just, you know, say, hey, let's just, you know, charge in and do everything stupid. I mean, they make plans. They follow through on plans. No, I think they do a really good job in a lot of that and adding to the mystery part they actually do some investigation like the crazy guy in the asylum who says he sees ants <laughs> uh, scott did you like kind of the mystery make me a, angle? Make me a sergeant really yeah make me a sergeant <laughs> scott did you kind of like the mystery angle they took with the they actually show these people doing a little more investigation rather than just oh yep we know what they're like you know we're just going to go do this well, yeah, I think what it was, what was made it kind of interesting is that they, if it was most movies of the era, there'd be one of two things: no one would believe it unless until the moment when the giant ants just like showed up at the city limits, right, and started like, and no one could ignore it, or even dumber, they would believe it right away. You know, and they say, and they'd say, like, wait, I think I found this over here. That's an antenna. Obviously, giant ants. You know, they didn't do that either. They almost did a. Um, I think Jason was bringing up how the mystery aspect of the film. They almost brought up a kind of almost like a procedural thing, except instead of leading to you know a murder, they it it led to giant radioactive ants <laughs> and so, so i mean which would have been like the best episode of law and order ever um, but, but uh but i like that that they're they actually go through and it's again going to the doctors and everything we have it's science-based where they say where they actually kind of tried to figure it and people are still like ah that just this just seems way too weird and to the end where they're towards the end where they actually have martial law and they're saying like look i know this is hard to believe just trust us on this <laughs> everybody's uh yeah it, it it made what is an innately silly movie so much is done to make it seem oddly plausible for the time that you're spend watching it that it works yeah, I, I, I agree. They, they make it plausible. I mean, even the boat scene, you think about ants on a boat, you're like, oh, ha ha. But that's actually kind of a creepy scene where they're talking on the radio and, and you see the ants because one of the queens landed on a boat. And I'm like, oh, this kind of feels like Godzilla. Uh, <laughs> where, where's Godzilla now to eat the ants? But, but even that part, which would seem normally silly, actually comes off kind of serious. I mean, this film feels like they were kind of trying to make a legit horror film. <laughs> you, you know, and it, I think it, it works well for the most part. They, they, they pull it off. Um, even the ants. I mean, them ants, for, the, for this type of film, Jason, what would you think of the ants in this? I, they were pretty good. 
I mean, you know, obviously you, you gotta you gotta consider the the time period. So I mean, if you can get past them, I, I think them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's some pretty kind of chilling things in here. I mean, t- to me, that opening that opening sequence really mm-hmm. draws you in, and the and the little girl with the doll with the broken head and the blank look on her face walking through the desert. I mean, man, if you're not drawn in immediately by that, I mean, there's you know, I, I think that's a really effective opening. And but you know, so the ants. Um, yeah, okay, they look kind of cheesy, but then there's that one scene where there's the ant kind of on top of the hill, and he's got the rib cage in his mandibles, and then the rib cage falls, and it tumbles down, and there's all these other bones, and you see the belt from the policeman, and the gun, and it's just like, to me, that was like, wow, that's just, that that's really effective, even though there's this giant, you know, kind of kind of goofy-looking ant, um, it's, it's still kind of creepy and pretty effective. Yeah, I found the ants scary for for 1954. Glenn, how about you? Do you think, especially for 1954, these were uh, uh, decent, scary creatures? I think so. For 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 when this was made, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, could you imagine yourself in 1954 seeing it for the first time? <laughs> how old do you think I am? No, I said, imagine, imagine. I couldn't say you were actually there. He was, he was only six in 1954. Come on. Yeah, come on, man. I was not saying that at all. God, God damn it. Damn you, Glenn. Ah, it's so easy to rattle you. It, it is. I, I know. I'm, I'm like a, a baby rattle. But uh, Scotty D, how about you? You think these are scary ants? Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think that these these uh, monsters hold up a lot better than a lot of the other monsters of the day. You know, it might help that they had stu- some studio money, even if it wasn't a huge budget. Uh, it, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of a weird guy where, you know, if something looks too good, I almost think it looks too polished, and I don't find it scary. Um, watching this as a kid in the 80s i thought the ants were scary yeah. uh watching them today i think still kind of think the ants were scary and if i was watching this in the 50s i think i would have crapped my pants at that point because <laughs> these things were really effective i thought and they do a lot with them yeah they i mean they play with the camera angles in that but uh they do do a lot with them especially when you get into that third act where they're going through the sewers uh, and you have the one ant because he's saving the kids, and the one ant grabs our uh, our uh, doctor. I mean, our, our sergeant Ben Peterson, and and bites him. That part's actually kind of. I'm like, wow, this is kind of brutal. Actually. Well, that's a really brutal moment, and I think these ants look better than say like the one that everybody raved about uh, like uh, 30 years ago in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. Um, I remember that, like, oh, that amazing ant effects. And, yeah, it was pretty good for that time. But, like, you compare that to them, it's like they're kind of the same. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, they are kind of the same. Uh, but th- this film is it has some legit kind of brutal and scary dark moments. And uh, I think it's well-crafted in general. Now, uh, we have here this, this the common theme of uh, nukes. Of course, uh, because uh, the the first testing was just nine years before when this film took place. So, it, 
Glenn, is this another 50s film warning us about the evils of or, or us paying for the sins of our past? Well, of course. I mean, especially when you when you look at what the the last line is, where it's pretty much, oh, man's a bad thing, and they make bad things, and look what we did. We fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just going to keep doing it, because that's what we do. Right. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Humans are bad. <laughs> Jason, how about you? Do you think their message is effective in here for their anti, hey, look how we screwed up the world with their nukes? <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, you get that message, I think, in, in a lot of movies of the time. But one of the things I was going to say about the end was that, okay, the ants are you know, scary and meant to be scary through the entire film. But man, that last scene with the ants, is it just me or, or, I mean, did you not sympathize with those ants stuck down in the hole, like looking helpless and all, you know, can't get out and, and it just, you know, burn them, you know? And then, and then they just get, you just, get, I, I, I felt like, oh man, you know, it's like here, here they are, these helpless little creatures, and and uh, they they got them, they got them trapped. These these last queens, and and they're just gonna wipe them out. And I, I don't, maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe I just had a weird moment, but <laughs> maybe nobody thinks that. Yeah, they got them. Everybody thinks that, but I was like, oh man, I don't know. There's something about that last scene just struck me. You know, when there's they're. they're all these soldiers just kind of looking down in that hole and their ants are sitting there not doing anything. And, and, uh, and it's just like, Oh, is this, is, uh, is this, you know, are we okay? Can we, can we go ahead and burn them? And the doctor's like, yep, that'll be fine. And the general or whatever goes, okay, burn them. And then they just burn them. And that's pretty much the end of the movie. Right. Well, I think you're hitting Seems on a like good... we got ourselves an ant sympathizer here. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> You're an ant sympathizer. Huh? What kind of books are you reading, Jason? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just me. Yeah, I don't know. Little Marxist ant there. Huh? You a commie now? No, I actually think you're hitting on a, a good point. Scotty D, what do you think? At the end here, uh, the tables do turn. Suddenly our humans, with probably one of the more brutal weapons of World War II, the flamethrower, are, are setting fire to these ants that literally were just born. Uh, what what do you think? You think they were maybe going for that man is almost scarier than these ro radioactive ants? Um, well, they achieved it, whether they were going for it or not. Sure. Um, uh, th that's the that's that's the but that's the big question, isn't it? It's like, okay, did we kind did we are we actually making a social commentary here, or do we kind of just kind of accidentally luck into it, mm -hmm. um, which we don't <laughs> know now? You know, looking at this now. More than sixty years later, we, we can't really say for sure, uh, but they did achieve it because, I mean, let's face it: these ants are—they have to be destroyed. They're terrible. They've murdered. They've, you know, they feed, fed on people. They're they—they're absolutely a terrifying menace. But are they actually evil? Well, no, they mm -hmm. don't—they're not evil. They don't have a big plot to take over the world. They ants have a certain way of operating they have a certain instinct and if you make them you know several thousand times their actual size they're going to look for different parts of the food chain to exploit mm -hmm. but it's all part it's that nature itself is very very brutal and uh 
Yes, and it's basically, yeah, whoever is the top of the food chain, it's basically for dominance of that, and that can be really cold and unfeeling. Whether they meant to actually say that, well, that's who can say. (laughs) (laughs) It may have been a little bit... Rah, rah, hey, look at our soldiers defending us. I think this does have a little... I will say say that, even though I can't say for sure, I will say that this felt like it had a little bit more of a brain and a uh, uh, a social conscience than some of the other movies. But again, you can't say for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you can't say for sure. But uh, though what is interesting with a bit of trivia, we're talking about the flamethrowers. Those were actual World War II flamethrowers. And yes, those were actual World War II veterans handling the flamethrowers. Because <laughs> this was, uh, you know, only what nine years out probably when they were filming it from world war two so yeah uh those were actual actual world war two flamethrowers which kind of makes it all the more scary <laughs> well well and i don't know um if you if you noticed but it seemed like there was a lot of shots of the flame flower flame throwers uh you know throwing flames right directly into the camera well the movie was uh, originally meant to be in 3d uh, so mm-hmm. I think that's part of the, you know, <laughs> that would have been a part of the 3D effects that they were going for. Which, if you think about old school filmmaking, I want to know who drew the short straw to run the f- camera <laughs> that sits in front of the, the flamethrower. But yeah, you're right. It was intended for 3D and color, but yeah. they chose against it at last minute. Uh, I do believe, if I read that correctly, that, that they chose not to. After all, I think it was because of expense. I'm not sure the exact. Reason. I, I yeah, I had read something that there was a there was a problem with the camera in the beginning, and then and then they decided, ah, screw it, we'll just yeah, we'll, we'll, just go we'll, we'll do it in 2D. That's why the title though they kept in color. It's the weirdest movie because it opens with a title that's in color that was meant to be 3D, and it's in 2D black and white. <laughs> it's kind of funny because you know they would use any any little bit of color if this was a B movie any little bit of color they would uh put on as a uh they would put they they would put that as as the big selling point of the movie. Right. Uh there was you know William Castle did it. Uh I mentioned Bird Eye Gordon before he did it. Uh just like there's a couple there yeah, there's a couple seconds of color in this and it's this new effect and everything like that. This one just said, uh no, it's there's no effects, there's no nothing, but eh, we'll just surprise them and throw the color and the title and color there. <laughs> yeah, it does appear that it was because of budget. The studio was nervous because they're making a genre film and if you look at the people and what they put behind it, it actually had budget for a nineteen fifty four film. Uh, they get they cut the budget, so they had to go back to black and white, uh, <laughs> and and not in 3D, because they just didn't have confidence in that weird genre, you know, of of monster films, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it, the, you can see why this is a, cl- a classic film, though, because um, it, it is serious. It, it's not as campy as the other films, you know, and. and this cast, I mean, this would have probably, Glenn, wouldn't you say this was probably a big event film for the day with the names that were in this film? Uh, what was that? Would you say that this was 
would be considered kind of a, a big event film for the time, considering the names and the studio and the budget behind it? I would say so. Yeah. It, it you know it not not maybe Infinity War size, but because there were other genre movies at that time, but uh, it just has that feel like they were trying to make something like you know th- this is actually a serious type of film versus some of your other films like you know the giant claw or the crab monster <laughs> along those lines. So uh, I will tell tell you Attack of the Crab Monsters. When you watch that movie, it is so weird. It is creepy. <laughs> they are pay- obviously paper mache crabs, but I mean, there are weird parts to that movie. There is a part where they figure out that the that where they the crabs eat people and then can communicate with their voices, so oh, that geez, you have yeah. crabs using their thoughts and their voices because they have their mind power. Mm-hmm. The, the The place that they have is being eaten away because. Every night, the cra- the crabs are whacking away at the island and setting pieces of it into the sea, so that they have less to do. There's that wonderful scene when uh, apparently they can like broadcast on any kind of metal, so they are actually getting transmissions from the crabs via a gun. It was like, what the hell? This movie is. <laughs> weird. I was I was sold at telepathic paper mache crabs <laughs> oh it's great you gotta see this <laughs> yeah I, I have to it, I, it's on the list right now just put it on <laughs> maybe maybe we'll have to cover that film sometime just, just so that everybody can, can go in and watch it uh, <laughs> yeah and I like the way this uh, this film was shot for 1954 I thought uh, you know they they did really good keeping some things in the dark and and not showing your full ant, though they only made three ants. That's why we only ever see three ants. Uh, though we do get the one kid. <laughs> and I don't know if either of you guys noticed this. Scott, did you notice? The one kid. I don't know if he was like one of the actor's sons or nephews or something because <laughs> he's just standing there. There's supposed to be a big, gigantic ant coming at him. And Scott, what's he doing? You, you, uh, did he, you notice? He, he's, 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 he's not becoming the next Jonathan Lipnicki, I'll tell you that. <laughs> he's, um, he's, uh, this is, he, he's, he's, he's giving... He's making his one and done status pretty much known, <laughs> and I would and I have not checked the IMDb credits. So if this kid somehow actually has twenty or thirty credits, I will put I will r- take the foot out of my mouth and just be stunned. But yeah, it's uh, there. Every now and then, in these movies you get like a, the kid gets on the screen and the kid just. They they tell him just to re- the kid to react. Uh, if you tell the kid to react, he, he might go overboard. If you tell him just to stand there, he's just going to stand there. And I think that's all that they got. <laughs> I I could just hear the director out coming from the camera. It's a big giant ant coming at you, and he's just standing there going, "Yeah, whatever." God, <laughs> you know, t- typical ki- typical kids today. You know, typical kids today. I've seen. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, oh, we've seen we've seen it all. You know, you know, I'm I'm 13. You know, I I have I've seen everything <laughs> at this point. You know, like, like oh, big giant ant. Oh, 
you're into those now? I was into those a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm into grasshoppers right, right now. You probably haven't heard of them. You know, that kind of thing. And his brother or whatever is supposed to be, that kid's like, he's just selling the hell out of it. He's like, oh, my God. Ah, ah. And the, the kid's standing there like, what are you screaming at? I think in that first shot, that one kid's literally crying. I mean, he's just yeah. he's just really all over. Yeah, and the other one's sitting over in the corner. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Dude, what's your problem? <laughs> this is not the time to just play it cool. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I had to mention that just because I got I got such a kick out of that kid. I was just watching him going, <laughs> "Wow, man, you you really were like last minute." casting weren't you you were you were literally the grip boy or somebody and they're just like ah crap we need another kid here hey get over here <laughs> and for those of you who pay attention and who are lucasfilm fans you will recognize a sound effect in this film mm-hmm. used many many times glenn you know which one i'm talking about the wilhelm um oh yeah 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 <laughs> used many times in this film. I, I this counted one, at least three. Yeah. It's in, in here at least a few times, though it's not the original film because it came from a different film, I think, two years before that. Um, I forgot the origin of the Wilhelm, but it's used quite often in this movie, which I kind of chuckled at. Like, hey, you could do a drinking game. Every time you hear a Wilhelm, take a shot. There you go. Make it a lot more fun. I still think it's kind of funny that some films are still using it and it's hard to find the the exact moment when people stopped using it because it was convenient and started using it as kind of like a joking uh kind of salute yeah. I, I mean to pinpoint that moment in time you know would be would be something but uh but yeah i mean it's just god yeah it, it's a. Uh, I, I, I counted at least three, and I was looking up as well and saying, like, was this the first? No, this wasn't the first. goes back even further. Actually, uh, according to IMDb, it's heard four times oh, in, see. throughout the film. So you you did miss Wood, uh, oh. but it, it isn't from this film, uh, The Wilhelm Scream. Uh, that came from a film, I think, a few years earlier. So I'm doing some but, searching right now as we're talking, and it, uh, first thing that comes up on the Wikipedia, Google, thank you, is uh, beginning in 1951 for the film Distant Drums. It's probably the only thing Distant Drums is remembered for today. <laughs> it's like, well, it's probably, I don't know what it would, I mean, I will have to take a look here. Distant Drums, let's take a look what it, what this movie was. It was a Gary Cooper movie, but let's face it, this isn't, and uh Okay, there we go. The enduring legacy. This is a quote from Wikipedia. Uh, so don't let t- don't let them tell you we don't do actual, you know, honest to god, you know, research. research. You know, and I'm sure all of the stuff on Wikipedia is true. Of course, it sure. says uh, quote the enduring legacy of this movie, meaning distant drums, is the earliest known use of the Wilhelm scream sound effect, originally used to vocalize a character being e- bitten by an alligator. So that's good. Uh, if you can imagine, like every time you hear it. You know, with the ant or with like a stormtrooper and it's somebody falling. Just imagine that, oh my God. And on top of everything, 
he was bitten by an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. Now I want a compilation where you just CGI an alligator in on anyone who falls yeah. over with the <laughs> Wilhelm scream. Do it. <laughs> uh, well, so, so if, if we were, we mentioned briefly Star Wars, I think we have to uh, also mention the Star Trek reference in the film with uh, Leonard Nimoy, uh, early appearance yeah. by Leonard Nimoy. I, I knew he was in the film. Mm-hmm. watched it through had no freaking clue who he was and i and i went back and i'm like okay shoot i got he, was, he was at number two, he was he was number two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh no i i love i love his uh his line uh real ts or real ts stuff top secret yeah <laughs> that's his whole line he has well, he's got a couple but that's that's the best mm-hmm. one so yeah. but yeah it, it i actually had to look it up and then find an image and it's like oh okay it's it's that guy and then then you watch it again it's like okay yeah i can see it now but you know i wasn't looking for it and totally totally missed it no he he didn't quite have his character his telltale look yet he was he was rather young for this movie so yeah well he used to well you know he he uh there was kind of always the, the the funny thing was that he he really struggled to make it in uh, Hollywood, whereas where Shatner, it just kind of happened right away, which is kind of like always like a joke that they pulled pulled with each other. But you know, he did a lot of genre stuff before he ever did uh, uh, before he ever did Star Star Trek. And I mean, I I this is like one of two early Nimoy films I just saw within the last month because I also uh, finally caught the Brain Eaters. Oh, uh, from like a few years later, where he has a bigger part in that one. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but I was like, oh, look at that, more Nimoy. <laughs> yeah, his early his early films, he has a lot of uncredited, uh, <laughs> where people uh, don't really, uh, you know, they wouldn't recognize him, and and you know, back then until until the big trek, I guess. Um, um. Well, that and uh, was it the Man from Uncle, but that was um, later, I think. Uh, no, Mission Impossible. Or Mission Impossible. I'm sorry. He did make Not an from, appearance in Man from Uncle, but yeah. He was on a, yes, he was on a Man from Uncle, but uh, yeah, he but was in a lot of TV. <laughs> he did a ton of TV. He was, and God, he was. He did a lot of westerns, and I think because of his, you know, kind of stern look that he has, I think they kind of cast him as a lot of um, in as in a lot of like Native American roles. Which is kind of like, oh, but <laughs> hey, man, it's the fifties. But, 50s, again, but again, yeah, you kind of have to like take it, it 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 into account. Interesting to note, he was also on quite a few episodes of Gunsmoke. Ah, there you go. Yeah, see, we come, come full circle again. We've here. come full circle. So, I think we'll wrap it up tonight on them, a, a classic uh, film that I, I think many people who are looking for some fun. Uh, but yet not quite so campy monster films should check out. So we're going to go down like we normally do with our special, and I'm going to ask my guests here one thing that they learned from them from 1954. So, Jason, I'm going to put you on a spot. We'll start off with you. Name one thing. It could be anything, humorous, whatever. Name one thing that them taught you from 1954. Uh, That when you're on a headset with somebody and you're done saying what you got to say, you say over. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, that's, it's good. That's a good lesson to learn. Definitely. Uh, Scotty D, how about you? 
Uh, if you want to avoid radioactive ants, never go picnicking in New Jersey. <laughs> Glenn, how about you? Please stop my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> Make me a sergeant. Give me the booze. Make me a sergeant. Give me the booze. Uh, if you know, if I if 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 I ever if I ever uh, did you know, try to run for any kind of office, I think that probably would be my slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Make me a sergeant, give me the booze, or whatever you're running for. Make These days, booze. I'd probably win. <laughs> Make me a governor, give me the booze. You probably would nowadays. Oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And one thing I learned from them from 1954 is if you are faced with taking on a radioactive ant that's six, seven feet tall. Go for the antenna. Shoot the antenna. You'll make it blind. That's that's. It won't be able to find you then, and you'll be safe. So make sure you shoot for the antenna, folks. <laughs> and that's about do it for us tonight here on the Spoiler Room. Hope you enjoyed it. another It Came from the 50s episode. Now here's the point where uh, my wonderful guests can show themselves and tell you where they can find them at when they're not here. So, uh, Jason, do you got anything you want to plug? Are we going to see another sequel to your film anytime uh, soon? Uh, well, you'll hear it here first if it if if I've got news. Right now, no. So I'll uh, I'll just say, you know, Always listen to the spoiler room, and every once in a while, you'll get me. <laughs> Thank you, and uh, we're happy to have you back in here, and hopefully we can get you in for some more episodes again. Thank and, you. Uh, Scotty D., where can they find you at? Well, lots of old stuff right now, because I haven't really written anything in a while. I hope to change that eventually. Uh, but um, uh, you can catch... Uh, my writings at moviocrity.com or you can also uh, check out my old web series uh, it's on YouTube but best to go to Vimeo is to check out all the episodes that's at vimeo.com slash channels slash moviocrity awesome and Glenn the BFD where can we find you sir oh boy you can find me on YouTube with uh, the currently on hiatus people bunker and Diana bunker productions Find me on Facebook with the same thing. You can check out my gaming podcast, Adventure Party, that I do with the wonderful Brad Ludwig on GNCast.com. Or just follow me on Twitter at Guy in a Bunker. Awesome stuff, gentlemen. Well, thank you this evening for talking uh, this old film. It was fun to revisit it. It's been a long time since I watched it, and uh, I'm glad we did. This This was a fun movie, though. Uh, just another point, folks. It does mention SS Milwaukee. Yay, Wisconsin reference, though there wasn't actually an SS Milwaukee, I think, at the time the film was made. So uh, it was foreshadowing. That's all it was. It was foreshadowing. So mm. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for uh, listening in. And now we'll just say good night, gentlemen. Good night, gentlemen. Good night. Good night. Hey, all my Spoiler Room friends out there, if you like what you hear, why not head on over to iTunes and like, comment, and even subscribe to our channel. It always helps us out. Or you can find us on Stitcher Radio as well. You can drop us a tweet on the Twitter at Spoiler Room PDCS or Special Mark Pro. Look for us also on Facebook at the Spoiler Room Podcast or in the Special Mark Productions Facebook group. Let us know what movies or topics you'd like to be discussed in the Spoiler Room 
where the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil the movies. 